So if you're a parent, you'll get this. Not the perfect parents, but the rest of us. You'll understand this, okay? It's those days, and there aren't a lot of them, but they happen, those days when the terrorists win and you are willing to meet all of their demands. <laughs> and they walk into the kitchen at two o'clock and they want a snack, right? They want a snack. And you're like, have at it. And there's nothing healthy left in the house, so it's like, whatever you can find, have at it. And they come back at three o'clock, and they want a snack. And you say, have at it. You win. And at four o'clock, they want another snack. And then at 5.30, they come into the kitchen, and they say, I'm so hungry. I need a snack. And you say, well, good news, because I'm right in the middle of making dinner, <laughs> which is perfect. And what they don't say in response to that is they don't say, that's great. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you're making me a delicious and nourishing meal because I'm so hungry. They don't say that. At 5.30, when you're in the middle of making dinner and they want a snack, they say, but I don't want dinner. Oh, dinner, you know? Because they've been filling up on junk all day long, and that junk masks their body's, uh, their body's appetite for real nourishing foods. They have like no room left for food that actually makes them healthy. And not only have they masked that appetite for like real nourishment, but they've been putting stuff in their body that actually makes them less healthy. And so they sit through dinner and they whine and you send them to bed early, right? <laughs> we... We have an appetite for authentic relationships where we can know others and we can be fully known. If you take a look at the studies done by researchers who go around the world to find the people who reportedly are the happiest, most content, most satisfied people in the world and they transcend all socioeconomic um, classes, they're everywhere geographically, they go around, they find the happiest people and they try to find the common denominators for what makes these people so happy. What, what is it that, that they have that other people don't have that, that gives them the satisfaction and contentment? And number one on the list every single time, we know what it is, number one on the list every single time are healthy relationships. And not only are healthy relationships good for us, for, for our emotional health, but they're good for our physical health as well. And researchers are finding more and more uh, the, the significance of the impact on healthy relationships on our physical health. In fact, they recently discovered that having a lack of healthy relationships is more negatively impactful to our physical health than obesity and smoking, all right? So that's pretty crazy. And looking at the research, looking at the data, if we didn't know better, we might just conclude that we were actually created for relationships. You know, we, we just might look at the data and conclude that maybe, just maybe, there's a creator who loves relationships and he created us in his image with this desire, this, this hunger, this appetite for real, authentic relationships. And so we find ourselves with this appetite for authentic relationships and we fill that appetite up 
by putting together this carefully crafted and curated image of our ideal selves that we present to everyone, right? That's how we fill up this appetite, because we want to be seen as, there's something that every single one of us wants to be seen as. There's something you want to be seen as, there are things that I want to be seen as. We want to be seen as smart and successful, we want to be seen as good parents, we want to be seen as caring people, we want to be seen as good people. There are things that we want to be seen as. And this is why we, we post onto our social media accounts, we, we post a picture of that perfect dinner with our perfect family on the perfect vacation on the perfect Caribbean island island because that's what we want people to see but for some reason we never take that selfie of us in the middle of us losing it big time on our kids and post that like I don't know why I do because we want to be seen as right there are things that we want to be seen as and we don't want to be seen as that parent who drops their kid off late at school and didn't put them in the right colors because it's spirit day at school and we don't want to be seen as that neighbor who has the waist high grass and the rusted out bikes all over the front yard and the broken bird bath right because you have one and but but you don't want to be seen as that you want to be seen as the neighbor who has the lines in their grass right so we want to be seen as and being seen as isn't always bad it's not always selfish it's not always conceited sometimes it's it's appropriate to be seen as because when you go into the workplace and you see your your boss you want to be seen as a competent employee you know you want to be seen as someone who cares about the mission of the organization you should and we want to be seen as in front of our kids as someone who's not terrified we want to be seen as someone who might actually know what they're doing we want to be seen as someone who has it together and we want to be seen as in front of our neighbors as someone who's trustworthy who's not going to break in and steal their stuff in the middle of the night you know there are things that we want to be seen as and sometimes it's appropriate and so we go through our day trying to be seen as and when we lay down at the end of the day and we look back at all of our interactions and conversations and texts and tweets and retweets and posts and comments and likes, we conclude that we are relationally connected. But what if, what if all of the energy that we spend trying to satisfy that appetite to be known, what if we're filling it with these relational connections characterized by this desire to be seen as, and what if it's just like junk food? And it's making us feel full. It's masking over our real appetite. But we're missing out on the kinds of relationships that really nourish us. And not only that, but what if, what if those superficial relationships we're just trying to be seen as are actually making us less healthy in the long run? Because the truth is, as long as we're trying to be seen as, as long as there's this, this ideal self that we're trying to portray, Nobody really sees us. We never really become known. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that's why in the midst of all of our connections and in the midst of all of our interactions, we still feel so isolated, so disconnected, and so alone. And what if what we truly need our authentic relationships where we can be known as we are. What if what we need is a place where we can be around people who are willing to be authentic? What if what we need is a place where we can just be completely, honestly ourselves? What if? What if that's exactly, exactly what the church was always, always, always meant to be? 
And what happens from time to time is the church and we get just a little bit off track and the church just becomes one more place where we're trying to be seen as. But what if we could go back all the way to the very first church and figure out how they did it? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be amazing if we could just get a glimpse of that very, very, very first church, like that church that was started by Jesus' disciples, like just a couple weeks after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, that very first church that Jesus' direct followers, the eyewitnesses, started while they still had the dust of their rabbi's feet kicked up on their clothes, while they could still hear the voice of Jesus ringing in their ears where there was, his teaching was still fresh. What if we could get a glimpse of that church? And the cool thing is we can because there was a doctor named Luke who hung out with the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his direct followers. He hung out with the 11. He traveled with them. He listened to the stories. And then he corroborated that, those stories by talking to eyewitnesses and he wrote it all down, everything that happened. And it's recorded in a book called Acts that we find in our Bibles. Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles, which is long for what happened next, the things that happened next after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And in it, Luke describes what that very, very first church looked like. And that's what I'd like for us to take a look at quickly this morning. Before we go to the passage, and we're going to have it up here on the screens, before we go to that, let me just give you like a quick context. Because right before this church launched, Peter went out into the streets and started telling everybody about Jesus. He was like, yeah, you guys killed him, you crucified him, but he came back to life and we saw it. Now turn it all around and follow him because I don't know if you know anybody who's predicted and pulled off their death and resurrection, but he did. So if you don't have anybody else to follow, let's follow him. And 3,000 people, the Bible says, 3,000 people were added to their numbers that day. That means the very first church was a mega church. Right off the bat, <laughs> 3,000 people, okay? So when we read about the very first church, the very first church was 3,000 people. All right, so let's take a look at what it was like. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So here are the 3,000 people, and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. We didn't come up with this, what we do here on Sunday mornings. Like, this is what they did in the first church. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Because Jesus said... Before he left, he said, go into all the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, does anybody know? Teaching them, ah, good, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, okay? So teaching, teaching, teaching. And so they would get together, the 2,000, and the apostles would teach them. So let's go on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of, uh, the breaking of bread, and that should be bread, and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So every day these 3,000 people got together in the temple courts to listen to the apostles' teaching. And they got together in rows, just like we do here on Sunday morning. They were all sitting in rows. And the thing about rows, rows are good, rows are critical. Rows are where we receive, right? Sunday morning, just like them at that time, in rows we receive. We receive guidance, we receive instruction, we receive encouragement, we receive guidance, we we receive in rows. But the limitation of rows is that in rows, nobody knows. 
Nobody knows in rows because in rows, you can be seen as anything you want and nobody knows. Rows are just another place to be seen as. And that's why when you walk in here on a Sunday morning and you look around at everybody who's here, everybody seems to have a perfect marriage and a good job and a perfect family and to have it all going. You look around, it seems like, wow, these people have their stuff together because we can pull that off in rows because nobody knows in rows. You can be seen as whatever you want in rows. And I bet you, I bet you, I bet you, people were walking in to that first church of those 3,000 people, and they were looking around at these 3,000 people, and they asked, how do you get connected in a place like this? They looked around at those 3,000 people, and they said, how can you ever be known in a place like this? And they probably thought, you know, didn't Jesus teach us to love one another and to do things for one another, to serve one another, to support each other? Like, aren't we supposed to, like, be around and actually know one another? But I'm walking into this place. How is there ever going to be a one another in a place like this? And because of that, because of that, the very first church didn't just meet in rows. Because of that, the very first church also, look at what it says. The very first church broke bread in their homes. So 3,000 people, not just meeting in rows on Sunday mornings. The very first church, 3,000 people, the church broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The very first church was a community of communities. They didn't just meet in rows, but they got together and they met in homes and small groups around tables together. And when you're in a home, you don't sit in rows because nobody knows in rows. In a home, you sit in circles. And they ate together. And, and eating together then was, was of huge cultural significance. It wasn't just like, let's grab a pizza on the way home and give it to the kids while we just take a nap and they play in the yard. Eating together was a sign of relational connection. It was a sign of, I am committed to you. I am for you. It wasn't just a matter of hospitality. It was a matter of unconditional relational hospitality. It wasn't just a matter of sharing a meal together. It was a matter of sharing sharing life together. Because when it comes to being known, circles are better than rows. When it comes to being known, circles are better than rows. And now 2,000 years later, we still believe that that is the best model for a church. Not because it's tradition and we're going to do tradition by gummit whether it works or not, but because we've seen over and over and over and over again and we've heard story after story after story after story of lives that have been changed in community, in small groups, People meeting in circles where they can be known and they can connect with other people relationally. And so we believe, we believe to our core that life change happens best in small groups. We believe life change happens best in small groups. And we believe that because we've seen it and there are a number of reasons that we believe that. Number one, we believe that life change happens best in small groups because... You got to be quick on it, Theo. (laughs) Circles make it safe to embrace where we are so that we can get 
to where we need to go. Circles make it safe to embrace where we are so that we can get to where we need to go. About 10 years ago, this was pre-kids. We just do whatever we wanted. Monica and I were going to drive from where we were living here in Frederick to go visit her extended family in Cincinnati. And it was the first time I'd driven from Frederick to Cincinnati. So, like always, I looked up the directions in advance. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> because here's the thing about me. When I'm driving somewhere, I like to know where I'm going. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to rely on directions. I don't want to have to rely on a map. I don't want to have to rely on GPS. I just like to have it all up here because I like to be that confident driver who knows where they're going all the time. And so I did the detailed map study in advance, and I memorized the route, and I could see it all. I could picture it in my head. I'm just really anal like that. I like to be that confident driver who just always knows where they're going. So we decided to leave after I got home from work one evening, which was about 6 o'clock. It was about a seven-hour drive from here to Cincinnati, and we knew we were just going to be driving late into the night. No big deal. And so we head out. We're about four hours into the drive. That's what, 11 o'clock at night? And Monica, just like always, says, you know, do you want me to, to check the map? Do you feel good about where we're going? I was like, no. Please, please do not check the map. Please do not, because map, okay? For you young adults who don't know, that's a piece of paper. Okay. <laughs> please do not get out the map. And so we're driving. And so I start seeing signs for Cleveland. Um, and if you're not familiar with, with Ohio geography, and I don't fault you if you're not, because why would you? But if you're not familiar with Ohio's geography, so you have Ohio, and like over here is Frederick, and like down here, am I doing this backwards? No, I'm doing it forwards for you guys. Down here is Cincinnati, and about four hours straight north of Cincinnati is Cleveland, like up here. And so our route is supposed to be going this way, and we shouldn't be seeing signs for Cleveland. Cleveland isn't on the way to Cincinnati, unless you're coming from Toronto, and we weren't. So I start seeing these signs for Cleveland, and I did what anybody does when you start to recognize a potential gap for where you want to see yourself and where you actually are. I did what anybody does. I started to rationalize and justify it in my head. I started to think things like, well, maybe those are just signs for people who want to go to Cleveland <laughs> when they're going to Cincinnati, you know? Just, there aren't that many cities in this state. Maybe it's just like for a turnoff to Cleveland. So I rationalize it and keep on going. Cleveland, 150 miles. Cleveland, 97 miles. And eventually Monica clues into the fact that we're seeing signs for Cleveland. And she says, should we be seeing signs for Cleveland? And my inner voice says, nope. But my outside voice says, those are just signs for like roads 
to Cleveland, I'm sure. And I realize I'm about to be found out. I realize that the gap between how I want to see myself and how I actually am is going to be discovered. And as we see more and more signs for Cleveland, my powers of rationalization start to wane. And I realize I am not who I want to think that I am. But I don't say anything. I just kind of think, I can figure this out. I can fake it. I can get us to Cincinnati via Cleveland. <laughs> She'll never know. I just need to like, go to the left more. <laughs> can pull this off. And so eventually she calls my bluff. And she says, I'm pulling out the map. I'm like, go ahead. She pulls out the map. And because I was unwilling to admit the reality of where I was, I had gotten us two and a half hours in the very wrong t direction to the outskirts of Cleveland, at which point we still had four hours to go to get back in to Cincinnati. Four long, quiet <laughs> hours. But the humble pie was delicious. We need to be able to embrace where we are in order to get to where we need to go. And what we need is an environment, a community of people that make it safe for us to own where we are and who we are so that we can get to where we need to go. Because if we spend our time pretending, we only get better at pretending. And we just become pretend. Real, authentic character change requires being authentic. And we need, more than anything, a place where it's safe for us to be real, a place for us to be authentic, a place where we feel safe owning where we are. I imagine there's some of us here this morning, and we're hungry for a place like that. In fact, our lives are desperate for a place like that right now, because right now, we're having a hard time embracing where we are, and we're going really fast in the wrong direction, and it's not getting us any closer, closer to where we need to go. And what we need right now in our lives more than anything else is a community that makes us safe to own where we are. What we need right now is a relationship where someone can look us in the eye and say, friend, it's okay to not be okay. Because nobody knows in rows. And if you want to be known, if you want to be known, what you need is a circle. That's why life change happens best in small groups. Not only that, life change happens best in small groups because circles make it safe to share our burdens so that we don't have to carry it alone. Circles make it safe to share a burden so we don't have to carry it alone. 
When I was in college, I had finally moved out of the dorms and was moving into my own apartment with a friend of mine. And I had gotten into town early, the first day that we could move into the apartment. And my roommate and I, neither of us, had any furniture. So we needed lots of furniture, cheap, and we needed it fast. So, again, this will be like shocking for you young adults. I went to the newspaper because there was no Craigslist back then. So I went to the newspaper and found an ad. A lady had a sleeper sofa, which was awesome. That was like two more places that people could sleep in our house, which decreased rent possibly, for $50. And I thought, sofa for $50, I'll take it. So I called her, and it was available. And she said, the only thing is you need to bring someone with you to help you move this because it's too heavy. Like this thing is, if you've ever moved a sleeper sofa, you know. It's like amazing how much concrete it takes to make those things. <laughs> She said, you need to bring someone with you to help you move this because I can't help you. None of my friends were in town yet. It was just me. And I thought, for $50, I can move a sofa. Young, strong, dumb, full of confidence. <laughs> it's like, I got this. So I rent a truck. I go to her house, check out the sofa. It's good. Give her 50 bucks. And she said, do you have somebody to help you move it? I'm not the kind of guy who needs someone to help them move a sofa. Like, I'm not that kind of person <laughs> who needs help moving a sofa. I said, I'm fine. I've got this. It's so, like I walk it, like, end by end by end by end, all the way to the door. And the, and the door is at the bottom of a set of stairs, and it's a narrow door at the top of another set of stairs. And I get it to where it's precisely blocking the entire door, and... She says, are you sure you don't need someone to help you move this? Like, <laughs> I'm fine, right? I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. I'm, I'm not that guy. I don't need help moving a sofa. Got this. And so I look at this thing, and, and it's not going to fit through the doorway width-wise. And, and so I turn it, and it's not going to fit through the doorway turned and I'm pretty sure the only way it's going, I don't know how it got into the house in the first place. I don't know if they made it in there. But I realize it's probably going to have to like go up on end and be turned at a diagonal as it goes out the door. Which maybe with a, with a, with a regular sofa, but a sleeper sofa, that was going to be a feat. So I go at it. And I lift this thing up, and I turn it, and I push it, and I pull it, and I try a number of things for about 15, 20 minutes, and I'm sweating, like soaked through all my clothes, like ready to have a coronary, you know, trying to get this thing through the door. And I realize that something's going to give. Like, like if, if I keep doing this, something's going to give. Either this couch isn't physically going to make it through the door, and it's going to come through in pieces, or I'm going to tear up this lady's wall. Like, or my spine's going to blow out of my back. You know, something's going to give because this just isn't working. So I set the sofa down precisely where it had started. And she's still standing there like watching this ridiculousness play out. And she says, are you, are you sure you don't need to call somebody? And as confidently as I mustered... As I could muster, I said, I'm going to go back up the truck. <laughs> I'm going to go back up the truck? 
like after getting the truck backed up to the house, like there's going to be some like miraculous feat of strength that I'm going to accomplish to get the sofa out. But like I was out of options, and I knew the only thing that I could do was go back up the truck. And a miracle did happen, and it wasn't miraculous strength. The miracle was that the truck didn't start. And when the service technician came and repaired it on site and finished, I, as if I had it planned out all along, said, now you want to help me move that couch? (laughs) Because as much as I don't want to be seen as someone who needs help moving a couch, a couch wasn't made to be moved alone. And we're all the kinds of people who need help moving a couch. And in life, there are things that come up. If your life extends out across that x-axis far enough, there are things that come up that you aren't meant to carry alone. And that none of us are the kinds of people that we're meant to carry them alone. And it's not a deficiency. It's not something that's wrong with me. It's the way God designed us. God designed us to need each other. God designed us to to, to need other people to help us carry the things that come along in life. He made us that way, to draw us together, to connect us together. C.S. Lewis writes a book called uh, The Great Divorce where he defines a metaphorical hell. And the conditions he describes in hell are that people in hell can create anything that they want just by thinking of it. And what it causes is it causes people to move further and further and further and further apart because nobody needs anybody else. God has designed us to need others to draw us closer together. And chances are, chances are there's something that you are trying to carry by yourself. Or there's going to be something that comes along that you're going to have to carry. And if you try to carry it on your own, something's going to give out. Something's going to break down. Because it's the kind of thing that we're not meant to carry alone watching your teenager make a mess of their lives and knowing that there's nothing you can do about it, knowing that you're going to have to figure out what to do with mom because she can't live alone anymore, getting the bad doctor's report and not knowing what you're going to do next. You know, there's just thing after thing after thing after thing that come up in our lives. And we just, we need someone to help us carry it. And we know the power of it because every single one of us have had that experience where we're carrying something And it was pulling us down, and we felt the weight and the pressure of it. And then we shared it. We talked to somebody about it. We just told them about it. And for some reason, I don't even know how it works physiologically, but for some reason, our conditions don't change, but we just feel better. We just feel better. We feel able to deal with it when we have a community of people who know what we're going through. So there's just going to be seasons. There are going to be times in our lives when we need a community of people to help us to carry our burdens, and that's why we believe that life change happens best in small groups. Not only that, but life change happens best in small groups because circles, circles support. Circle support. My family and I have been 
so blessed by the communities that we've been able to connect with here at this church. And, and we've connected through most of our communities through serving teams, by serving with the middle schoolers and then serving with the high schoolers. And we've been connected with such amazing communities of people. And I remember the first time uh, we, had a, we had our first child and, and just this community just started bringing us meals for two weeks. They provided all of our meals. It was incredible, it was, an, it was amazing. It was so good we had three more, you know? <laughs> Let's keep doing that. But it's been this amazing community of people that, that just experience, we've experienced life together. And we celebrate together when people have good things happening in their lives. And we get together and we grieve together when people have really, 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 really hard things going on in their lives. And recently, one of my good friends uh, came to me because I was, I'm planning to build a, a structure on my property uh, Kind of like a tree house, but it's not going to be a tree house because there are not going to be any trees involved, but it's going to be posts. Anyway, it's going to require dig digging a set of footers, which I've done on my property before, and my property is essentially on solid rock. And if you've ever dug footers through rocky soil, you know, um, we talked about what hell is like before. I, <laughs> I think it might be more like that. Anyway, it's no fun, it's rigorous, it's hard, it's painful, it stinks, and I hate doing it, but I knew I was gonna have to do it. And my buddy, my very good friend, knew that I was planning to do this. And he said, hey man, if you need help digging those footers, just give me a call. And I'll, I'll drop what I'm doing and we'll just spend a day digging footers. And it told me two things. Number one, he had never dug footers at my house before. <laughs> Number two, that he's a really, really good friend. The kind of person that will be there for me regardless of what I need. And I've been so blessed, my family's been so blessed to be surrounded by those kinds of people. And I am so convinced that I am better as a person because of those people. That my marriage is better because of those people. That my family is better because of those people. And my question for you is, do you have someone who's willing to work shoulder to shoulder with you to help you build your foundation? Because I believe that when it comes to being known, circles are better than rows. Because life change happens best in small groups. And that's why we as a church we we'll encourage everybody to get connected with the community some way, somehow. Find your community here, and there are a number of avenues to do that, that, that regardless of, of what level of interaction you want to have, you know, whether you're introverted or extroverted or what your schedule is like, there's so many different opportunities here to help you get connected, either through serving teams, and we have a myriad of serving teams that you can get familiar with our Serving Ops booklet to get on and build community through your serving team. We have clubs that you can get connected with, and you can find out about those at Information Central and get, on a, get connected with a club and build a community there, or 
but I think it's one of the best places to build community is through growth groups, which we are launching right now for the fall. Get connected with a growth group. Pick up the catalog. Find your community today, that community that you are going to need, whether you like it or not. Life change happens best in small groups, and I couldn't encourage you more highly to get connected. So we've heard story after story over the past 26 years that this church has been running, story after story about lives that have changed in small groups. I want to share with you one of those, a story about Theo and the change that he experienced through growth groups. So here's Theo's story. started attending FCF um, when uh, my wife told me that she wanted a divorce and that was uh, three and a half years ago. After attending a few services, someone reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in uh, joining a growth group? I wasn't sure what it was all about, but I said sure. And it was by far one of the best things that could ever happen to me. My first day or first evening um, attending the group. Was a little nervous, didn't know what to expect, but during the course of the evening and the program that was available to us, kind of loosened it up a little bit, kind of made me feel, okay, you could, you could talk about this if you want to, and people who know me know I like to talk. And it was just very uh, easy to just let out what was in my heart. And again, just not being afraid of what people are gonna say about me. I mean, I've always got support from this group and, and always say, hey, I'm a phone call away. Or, you know, you ever want to get together, let me know. I mean, or I've been through this before. That feeling of just walking away that evening, you know, my first evening walking away going, yeah, I made the right decision. One night, um, at just uh, meeting a friend for dinner, um, we, we just got together and you know, just having a good time. And unfortunately, things kind of took a, a turn where, you know, too many drinks were, were drunk and uh, things were being said and it was, the atmosphere was getting a little too, a little too crazy. And, um, you know, I remember just saying something at the bar that I was very ashamed of and um, driving home that evening. Couldn't believe I was doing that. Um, I was so upset with myself and just thinking, why are you doing this? I, I got home and um, went, you know, went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and um, what I noticed was I was wearing my FCF Forgiven shirt and I just sat there and I just said, I disobeyed my Lord and how can I do that? My, my life's falling apart, my marriage is ruined, my kids are not in good graces with me, my parents, we had some issues and now this. At that point, I just said, I think it's time to check out. So about a few weeks later, went to um, a growth group. Um, didn't want to go. I just was, I had made up my mind. I said, that's it. Um, I'm going to be selfish and I'm just going to do what I need to do. But something was said that night and um, I really felt like, you know, something was tugging me to go there. And sure enough, you know, I was ready, getting ready to leave. I just couldn't wait to leave because you know, I just wanted to get out of there, and next thing you know, something hit me to confront the brothers and say what I was feeling, and I did, and next thing you know, 
there's hands on me, there's prayer, there's, it was just embracing and it was just, it was very loving. And, you know, my brother Howard just uh, followed me home. And here we are in front of my house talking until three, four in the morning. And um, he's telling me, you know, what life's about, what life is worth living for. And he talked about my kids. And I told him what had happened that, that evening a couple weeks ago with how I disobeyed God. He just said, Theo, we serve a God that is forgiving. Stop beating yourself up. And um, we prayed some more and things changed from there. I mean, I started feeling God's grace, starting getting into God's word, starting getting into ministry, starting getting into, you know, going helping out in the homeless shelter, helping out with moving, helping out with um, the rescue mission Saturday morning. And before you know it, um, six growth groups later, I'm still in it. There has been so many men in my life that have been there for me. And the best part about that is they've been there for my kids. They're showing my kids what it is to just give your life to Christ. And I owe it all to those guys in those growth groups. It is just phenomenal to think that three and a half years ago, I was confronted with the worst possible issue in my life. And then during that journey, hit complete rock bottom. But yet now, just standing on top of that mountain and just you know raising my hands and saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these groups. And most importantly, thank you for the men in my life. Again, without the growth groups, it's um, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So what's your story going to be? And maybe some of you who are here this morning, you're in desperate need for a story like Theo's. You see it going in the wrong direction. You need that community of people to come alongside you to help you get to where you need to go. Or maybe, maybe your story is more like the people that Theo was able to connect with through that group. Maybe you're the person that somebody else is going to need to help them through that difficult season of life. Because we're the body of Christ, the body of Christ, and you might not be the one in need, but somebody else may be the one in need who needs you to share your experiences that God has uniquely given you to make the impact in their life. And the last thing I want to share to wrap up is how Luke ends his description of that very first church. He says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What, what dreams does God have for our church? What, what could God do through our church if we became a church it wasn't just meeting in isolation in rows, but a church that was rooted in community. Will you pray with me? Father, we are humbled by this gift that you've given us, this, this ability to connect with one another at such deep levels. Father, it means so much to us in our lives. It is such a power, powerful force for us 
And I pray for the working of your spirit and your working through individual lives here that you would continue to build us up as a church that is deeply rooted in community. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.